The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio with your host, Ann Gelsheimer. We are entering higher levels of consciousness with both old and new spiritual technologies to help us be the people we've always dreamed of being. We can make the choice to evolve in consciousness and become the change the world needs today. Now, here is Ann Gelsheimer. Hello, this is Ann Gelsheimer, and welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. My guest today is Colleen Morrow. Colleen was the founder and editor-in-chief of Intuition Magazine. A lifelong interest in the untapped powers of the mind led to the launch of Intuition Magazine in 1988. Intuition explored the higher potential of the mind and the many and varied ways of knowing, intuition, inspiration, and telepathy, providing both research and how-to information in easy-to-read form for the general reader. Colleen has now released a book called Spiritual Telepathy, Ancient Techniques to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul. In this book, she describes the evolutionary journey we are on as a species, learning to access the wisdom of our soul and of the higher subtle worlds that exist beyond this physical world. Here is a wonderful quote from Colleen's introduction that I'd like to share because it fits so perfectly with my own purpose in creating Conscious Evolution Radio. This is what she wrote. Those of you who build this bridge to the subtle worlds are the pioneers who will lead the way to a new civilization. And each of you who takes this step will make it easier for those who follow. When we build our bridge between the physical and spiritual worlds, we are literally bringing heaven down to earth. As more and more of us open to the subtle worlds, we will bring an ever-increasing flow of divine ideas and inspiration to the world. Together, we can usher in a new era of unity, cooperation, and peace. Colleen, that is so beautifully written and inspirational. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show, and welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome Thank you for having me. So, Colleen, I know you had a really interesting experience, um, actually an experience of spiritual telepathy, when you uh, decided to create the magazine Intuition. Would you tell us about that? Sure, I'd be glad to. It was in 1988, and I was living in San Francisco, and I had been working in alternative magazine publishing for several years. I had three back-to-back jobs in San Francisco, which was kind of a miracle because it wasn't the place to pursue a career in magazine publishing at that time. But I was between jobs, and there was nothing on the horizon, and I felt like my luck had finally run out. And I was spending the days searching for new magazines and worrying that I was going to have to leave my beloved San Francisco. And one morning, I just got up, and I decided I was going to treat myself to a worry-free day outside working in the garden. 
And as I dug up bulbs and planted bulbs and raked leaves, I suddenly had an intuitive experience, and it was a different experience than the usual way I access intuition. It had always been through feelings or through body sensations, but I had an experience of words just appearing in my brain. It was like they were just dropped into my brain. It was a purely mental experience, experience, and the words were the center for applied intuition. And I was struck by it because I knew it wasn't my thought, and it was like a foreign object. I just sort of stood there for a minute trying to think why that appeared and could I have generated that thought and concluded that I couldn't because it didn't make any logical sense. I knew about the center, and I had met the founder some years before, but they had nothing to do with a magazine job, which I was looking for, and I couldn't imagine anything happening there other than an offer uh, for an administrative position. So I mulled it over for a few days and then decided to act on it. I called the the center, the fellow that ran it, and asked him to put together a package of information about the center's activities. And a few days later it came uh, in a big manila envelope, and I dumped the envelope out on my dining room table. And there was a lot of brochures, and there was a small typewritten magazine called Applied Sci. And it was a magazine about intuition and creativity. And it just had a, like maybe 10 pages or so. And I sat down and I looked at it. And I was, as I was flipping through the pages, it suddenly hit me that this would be a great magazine if it had a different name and if it was formatted like a real magazine, that the subjects of intuition and creativity would be interesting to a much bigger group than the 200 center members that he sent it to. I called Bill, and I made an appointment to speak with him the following week, and the more I thought about it, the more sense it made. I had long studied the intuitive arts, and the project seemed to be a perfect marriage of my interests and experiences. When I arrived at the center, I explained my idea to Bill, and he immediately lit up and told me that he'd always dreamed of turning an applied sci into a real magazine, but the right person had never come along. And I went home and banged out a proposal and came back the next day. And the magazine, Intuition, a magazine for the higher potential of the mind, was suddenly born. From the start, it was my baby. He had really limited space. I think it was a two-room office. So I set up shop at my dining room table, and I cajoled my writer friends into contributing three articles. I sold advertising space to pay for the printing and set up a local bookstore distribution. And I took the copies around in my car. And when they all sold out, I knew my hunch had been right, that there was a much bigger audience for this. And he decided to close the center a while later, and he signed the rights over to me. And I later received a grant that allowed me to set up an office and hire a staff. So I suddenly had my own magazine, which I never would have imagined could happen at that particular time. And all from that uh, one moment of that inspiration coming in with those very specific words for that center. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was amazing that I followed it up, too, because it didn't make any logical sense. And I think many of us just discount that. But, you know, I just sort of stayed in my head, and I thought about it for a few days, and I thought, well, what do I have to lose? So I did make that phone call, and it changed everything. I love it. I love the fact that you followed up on it, because so many times people do get inspirations, but they don't realize how valuable they are, and they don't act on them. Right. So tell us now, this, you, you know, you've written this book, uh, Spiritual Telepathy. Tell us what is spiritual telepathy. We've had an example, but what is it? Yep. It's communication from the subtle worlds, from our own souls, or from higher beings. And it's called telepathy because the communication is always telepathic. We, we don't audibly hear the information. The information is just dropped into our brains where it becomes part of our conscious awareness, which is exactly what I experienced. Beautiful. 
And so I, I know this is part of, I, I'm hearing stories from so many people that they're having these experiences entirely spontaneously. But in your book, you talk about how this has been part of the wisdom traditions for a long time. Would you care to say anything about that? Well, it's a training that um, has been with us from the beginning of time. And it, what I discovered is that it exists in, in all religions. It's a training and teaching that exists at the very heart of every spiritual tradition. And it's how we train our minds to quiet our minds and emotions. And suddenly, through that, we're able to make direct contact with the soul and the higher worlds. And I loved a term you used in the book. Uh, you called it the soul-aligned human being. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about what that is? A soul-aligned human being is somebody who's done that, who's made that direct connection between the mind and the soul. And then you have a divine partner. And it's a wonderful experience. I've had little um, brief um, experiences of it. And it starts that way where we have brief contact. And then at some point at a... a um, um, higher level of our spiritual evolution, we have a direct contact that's with us at all times. And at some point, the soul actually merges with the personality and then uses the human body as its expression on earth. And we have Jesus as the perfect, perfect example of that. He talked about being in the world but not of it. And he was describing that experience exactly. That is amazing. That is so interesting, that idea of bringing in that larger, higher part of ourselves, which my understanding is that's the eternal part of ourselves that's always, always is, no matter where we are in any uh, physical experience. Mm-hmm. I was always very touched and, and envious by, whenever I read stories about people who could communicate with the higher worlds, and we have the stories of our saints, but we know that they lived in monasteries and devoted their entire lives to spiritual practice. But it also seems to happen uh, to ordinary people like Joan of Arc, who talked to saints and angels, and Eileen Caddy, who received the guidance that led to the founding of the Fendhorn community, and the botanist George Washington Carver, who walked in the woods each morning to talk to God. And apparently, he was, God was talking back. He called it the divine radio. And those stories always steered a very deep longing in me, and I've always wondered if it was just for special people, people that were more evolved than I was who could have these experiences. And having studied this, it's really clear now that it's something that we can cultivate, that it is, in fact, our evolutionary destiny, that many spiritual leaders and philosophers are telling us that we're poised on the brink of an evolutionary leap, and it's one as profound as our emergence from animal to human. When we make Mm -hmm. that contact with the soul, we take our first steps out of the human world and into the superhuman world. And the subtle worlds then become part of our human world, and we've moved up a notch on the evolutionary ladder. So, this is extremely important for us to be doing right now. What, what is the science behind this? Because I know you've done the research and you've looked at the, what the scientists are saying. What have you found? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because I read a lot of um, books by the founders, you know, the, the original researchers in quantum science. And if you didn't know you're reading uh, a scientist, it sounds they're describing this experience in exactly the same way that the wisdom teachings describe it. They describe consciousness as a mind-like field of energy, and as you go higher, there's a more subtle and more refined level of information that you can touch into. And there are two, or at least two, well, it's actually more than two, but at least two researchers that are still um, exploring this, and that's Rupert Sheldrake and Dean Radin. And Dean Radin has just written a book about um, Patanjali, who was said to be the first person to write down 
and put into book form what had been taught in the mystery schools, ancient mystery schools, on mind training. He called it Raja Yoga, which is the yoga of the mind. Right. I'm familiar with him. I was uh, reading him in theology school because we were looking at comparative spirituality and mysticism. Mm-hmm. So what, what does he contribute? What, what, um, I know he contributes so much, but what do, in particular helps us understand how to connect to these higher worlds? Well, he wrote um, the Yoga Sutras, and that consists of four books, and it's basically mind training, starting with um, quieting the mind and how we contact the soul and what happens after, after that universal state of consciousness. So it's really a kind of a step-by-step training. And I'm involved in an esoteric school, the Yarkane School, uh, that's administered by Lucis Trust. And they take you through that that same process. It's a very slow process of training the mind and quieting the mind. So it's very similar to what Patanjali taught us all those years ago. Now, I I was intrigued because I I read that you said it was really important to prepare our physical, emotional, and spiritual bodies for the influx of higher energies. And I'm wondering if, just before break, if you could explain why that is so important. Well, they talk about this a lot in esoteric schools. It's called the path of probation. And all spiritual traditions have what they call refinement practices. And the idea is that we have to upgrade our physical, mental, and emotional bodies to be able to access higher levels of wisdom, that we need to purify the physical body, and we need to quiet the emotions and the mind. That if we don't, if there's any kind of uh, emotional or mental static, the information doesn't come through. The information has to come from the soul and reach the brain. But if we're upset about something, if we haven't learned to quiet our mind, the information isn't going to get through. And if our bodies are still very out of balance from our diet and overwork and so on, then it can actually be physically harmful. When I first started experimenting with these practices, I had just um, come off years of deadlines with the magazines, and I was realized that I was way too depleted to put any more stress on my body. So that's really important, that it does stress your body if the body's not balanced. And is there a particular aspect of the body, like the nervous system, that's, that's stressed, or is it the whole system? The whole system, the whole system. Because you're really bringing okay. in a higher, finer vibration. And if you don't, sort of, if you don't upgrade the physical body so it, it more um, easily matches that vibration, then it can cause physical illness. Okay. I was getting really bad headaches when I first started playing around with it, and that's why I decided I just wasn't ready to do this. And getting, I had a lot of food allergies and weird things happening, so I just backed off and worked on um, getting my body into better shape before I really started again, and that's what I'd recommend. So when we come back from the break, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. What are, what are some of the changes that people need to make? And then we'll go into some, what the process is uh, for connecting to our soul. Um, so this is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be back in a moment. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. 
turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you just getting started on the path to metaphysical healing of yourself? Would you like to have some fun as you find out more? Join Julia Stubbe each week as she guides you through the Energetic Toy Box. This show will gift you the basic foundation and tools as you discover your spiritual path on a deeper level, encouraging the exploration of many facets and concepts such as chakras, healing, meditation, crystals, and more so that you can use these in your daily life. The Energetic Toy Box is here for you every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. What is spiritual spelunking? It's basically an exploration of the truth, our own unique truth. Every single person in the world has a reason to be here. Although we are told many things, it's ultimately up to us to figure it all out. The search continues throughout our entire lives. Join host Giles Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on this journey. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Again, that's ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, this is Ed Gelsheimer, and you're listening to Conscious Evolution Radio. My guest today, Colleen Morrow, and I have been talking about her new book, Spiritual Telepathy. And in particular, before the break, we were talking about the path of probation, the the period of time where we actually prepare our body, our mind, our spirit for the upgrade, the, the evolutionary expansion that's possible. So, Colleen, would you tell us what's involved? What kind of dietary changes? What kind of shifts do we need to make to prepare for this? Dietary changes are completely individual. Some traditions say don't eat meat or whatever. And what I've discovered is that um, we just have to listen to our bodies, that that's right for some people. I started losing the taste for meat. I never ate much, but I got to the point where I couldn't stand to chew flesh, even fish. And that's very common. But other people have told me that they really feel like they need animal protein. So my suggestion is that we eat intuitively and we pay attention. Our bodies are going to tell us what we need. The thing that everyone says, and I did a lot of interviewing of people that have um, studied this stuff and followed this path, and they all say that pure foods and pure water are absolutely essential. A lot of people lose their taste for sweets, and, and that happened to me too. I feel really bloated if I eat sweets. Other people get really sensitive to alcohol. So it's just this sort of an entombment process where we listen to our bodies because our bodies will tell us exactly what we need. All right. And what about the emotional and spiritual bodies? What kind of preparation? Well, this is really one of the most important parts and one of the most difficult parts, that we have to quiet down the emotional and mental bodies, that if we're going to get information directly from the soul to the brain, the emotional and mental bodies have to be completely still. And that's a pretty tall order for most of us. And um, what we have to do is we have to be able to 
refine the emotional body so we can have that kind of quiet and peace. And Jack Cornfield has talked about this a lot. Excuse me. And I put this in the book because it's so important that many of us need therapy to get that kind of quiet. That when we get really serious about a meditation practice, any unresolved um, emotional issues that we have are going to bubble up. And what he discovered when he started to teach meditation was that half of the people couldn't master the basic concentration exercises because they had so much um, unresolved grief and other emotional issues. And he spent a good 10 years in therapy himself trying to heal the effects of a difficult childhood. And so he's been a pioneer in bringing Western psychotherapy into Eastern spiritual practice, which I think is um, really important and valuable. I did a lot of therapy in my younger years, but what I discovered when I got serious about um, really quieting myself down, I needed to do more. There were people I needed to forgive. There were a few people in my life that were creating a lot of emotional static, and I decided to step away from those relationships. So it's a process of refinement where you sort of bring up any emotional trash you have and try to resolve it and um, quiet yourself down. And the mental part comes from the discipline of meditation because the mind, the lower mind, has to be completely quiet in order for the information to reach the brain. So it's something that takes a while, and it takes commitment on our parts. Yes, and I imagine we get better and better at it. It's not like one day all of a sudden we're doing it, but uh, there, you know, information begins to creep in more clearly as we as we do these practices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What happens first is that it just little flashes. And then at some point, it's a continuous stream of information. And when you get these little flashes, the discipline of meditation starts to seem less arduous. When I started, I decided I was going to get really serious about this, and it felt like homework, you know, that I had to get out of bed and I had to do this every morning. And it really does require daily meditation. And once you start to to touch into these areas, it's such a joy that you find it less of of a task, less of homework and something that you're willing to do. And so a little bit sort of leads you to wanting more and more, and it becomes less difficult. Everyone has told me that has tried this, and as, as there are some people I know that are regularly pulling in this kind of information when they're doing healing work, is that if you stop, even for a few days, it starts to dissipate. It's a very subtle process. You're building a bridge from the brain to the soul. And um, it's, it's built in subtle matter, and so you have to keep strengthening it thread by thread. Every time we extend our attention upward, we anchor a thread of energy that over time becomes a bridge. I kind of think of it as a groove, that the more I do it, there's a groove that just allows my consciousness to go up, go up towards the soul. But it does require a daily discipline. That's so interesting because no matter what it is we do, the the repetition makes us stronger at it. You know, when we think mm-hmm. about it as putting down neural pathways uh, for any kind of habit or, 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 or skill. So this absolutely makes sense. The more you do it, the better you get. Well, it's like being um, a weightlifter. Instead of yeah. um, strengthening our body, we're strengthening our mind. We're mental athletes, essentially, lifting our weights every morning. Now let's talk about the kind of meditations that are involved in, and I know in particular we're going to talk about creative meditation, but mm-hmm. maybe you could give us an overview. Well, creative meditation is a particular type of meditation. Uh, most meditation practices focus only on quieting the mind, and in this type of meditation we go a step further, and we actively train the mind to transmit information from the soul to the brain, and we do this again by projecting our attention upward from the mind to the soul day by day. 
And as I said, when we do this, we anchor small threads of energy that eventually, thread by thread, become a symbolic bridge. And it's the same way that our our homes are wired for telephone or Internet connection. This type of meditation allows us to create the threads and cables that link us to the higher worlds. And in the wisdom teachings, the bridge is called the Rainbow Bridge or the Bridge of Light. And in the Hindu text, it's called the Antakarana. And uh, in the New Testament, Jesus called it the Straight or the Narrow Gate. Hmm. Okay. And one thing that was interesting is that I, one thing I learned, and you know, I always thought we sort of labored alone, but the truth is when we focus our attention upward, the soul turns its attention downward. And so it's a united effort. You know, we're moving our attention upward, and the soul is helping us to do that. And again, the most important thing is discipline. It's not a very exciting message, but it's true. It's the repeated day by day effort that allows us to build this bridge. Now, would you be able to say a bit more about how to do creative meditation? Well, there's a, bunch of, there's a lot of meditations in the book. There's actually 12 meditations in the book. Eight of them are personal development and four are for, um, for service. But what we do is we quiet our minds and we extend our attention upward. We imagine that um, we're touching the lower mind and then we're going beyond to the soul. And we hold our attention there, and we meditate on what's called seed thoughts. They're words or sentences. And what that does is it trains the mind to stay focused where you want it to go. It's easy to focus our mind on something that's of interest to us, but it's a lot harder to train our minds to stay focused on something that we choose. What we're doing is we're training the mind to be a tool, to be our, our, our servant rather than our master. So we, we, um, we have a seed thought. It might be... Um, I, I, the soul is my inspiration or, or whatever. I have a bunch of um, sea thoughts in the book. And we just focus our minds on that and we stay focused for about 10 minutes. And, and Alice Bailey in one of her books talks about how we can imagine that we're giving a talk on this subject. And so we figure out how exactly to explain, explain it and, you know, all the different ramifications and so on. And that's a way to keep our minds focused on that particular sentence or word. And we do that every day different speed thoughts, maybe one a month. And we, when we do that day by day by day, we're training our mind to stay focused where we want. And if we can train our minds to stay focused on a mundane sentence or word, it makes it easier for us to be able to use the mind as a tool when it starts to extend into the subtle world. Interesting. And is there a felt experience when you are actually connecting with the soul? You do. You, you feel like you're... You have this experience of joy and your heart starts to open. Mm-hmm. I had an experience of just driving down the freeway one day and all of a sudden my heart just opened and it felt like um, that Buddhist saying that, I, that you have a heart as wide as the world. It, it actually felt that way and I understood that and exactly what they meant in that moment. And what you do is you just start to feel expanded. You start to see things from a higher perspective. You start to have more compassion for people. And I really noticed it was easier to forgive people and to see, you know, that we're all doing the best we can and we're all sort of part of the same human condition. We all have the same human um, failings and so on. And I found myself a lot more, a lot less judgmental and so on. So it really does change your life. Beautiful. And in the book, you mentioned, too, that it's really important for us to have periods of solitude and silence. Mm -hmm. So there's the creative meditation, but then there's the sort of absence of any mental activity. Could you talk about that solitude and silence? Mother Teresa called silence the language of God, and she Mm -hmm. said it was the most um, important spiritual practice of all. That it, the, these 
um, bits of information that we get are very subtle, and we have to be, be quiet, quiet ourselves down, which is really hard now when we have cell phones and constantly getting text messages and so on. So I really encourage people to try to build that into their day-to-day experience. And I know it's not always easy, especially when you have children. But if you can just take a solitary walk, leave your cell phone behind, or just work in your garden or sit on your back porch, it really does help us to just to be quiet, and, and that allows us to be attuned to the subtle world, and the information can get to us. It's very good, actually. It's a, I, I practice psychology, and it's also a very good technique just on a psychological level to practice that silence. It's almost a, um, like releasing the pressure in a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. Um, 15, 20 minutes a day of just sitting in silence, you know, looking at your garden is just so healing for people. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the three types of telepathy that you mentioned. Okay. Now, this is very interesting. It's interesting in the way that it relates to the chakra system, something I didn't know and something I discovered studying this. And it also relates to the evolutionary journey that there's um, three types of perception. There's instinctual, which then evolves into rational, which then arrive, that evolves into a pure intuitive uh, perception. And that you can see sort of the evolutionary step. And so the three types of telepathy are instinctive, mental, and spiritual. And instinctive is our gut feelings. Mental is mind-to-mind. And spiritual is what we've been talking about, that, that connection to our soul and to higher levels. And once we train ourselves to be able to perceive at that level, we become intermediaries between the physical and spiritual worlds. And we can also be given work to do. Uh, information can be dropped into our brains for a particular service or project. And we really can bring in new information in the same way that Einstein and other um, inventors and scientists did. We can really bring new solutions to, to the world that way. We become receiving stations. And could you say a bit more about how the telepathic perception relates to the chakra system? Well, that's interesting. The um, instinctive telepathy is related to the solar plexus. And that's the psychic center, and it's related to the emotional body, and that's clairvoyance. And um, Mm -hmm. a lot of what is called telepathy in scientific research, I think, really is is, um, clairvoyance. It's that psychic perception. So that uh, is related to the solar plexus, and then the mind-to-mind telepathy is related to the throat chakra, and spiritual telepathy is related to the head centers. Okay, so uh, just the, the brow and the crown or, or beyond mm-hmm. that? Yeah, the brow and the crown. Okay. So it's really that alignment between the brain, the mind, and the soul that allows us to bring in the information. And as part of the process of collect, connecting with the soul, is there work specifically with the chakra system to do clearing or balancing? No, there's not. In fact, I read many um, books that say don't do that that it's something that opens automatically through the evolutionary process. And as we become more um, spiritually oriented, the, the, the energy just starts to rise up from the solar plexus to the heart and so on. That it's not something that we should force. 
Oh, that's interesting. I'm I'm most familiar with Tibetan Buddhism and uh, and and the tantra that they teach, and mm-hmm. they they don't specifically try to open centers, but there are uh, purification practices and visualizations and mantras to just sort of uh, shift the energy in each of these centers to allow that energy to rise. Mm-hmm. Um, that is somewhat advanced, and it's, there's just a lot of admonitions about this that it can be dangerous for people that aren't ready for it. You know, that's true because they do do a lot of preparatory practice before you actually even get into those those uh, higher tantric meditations, mm-hmm. a, lo- a lot of that, uh, which gets back to that path of probation that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say that you shouldn't do it unless you have, you know, if you're going to go that go down that path, you should wait until you have a teacher that can work with you individually, you know, that knows kind of your your state of evolution and that can help you because it can be dangerous if you're not ready for it. Right. That's very true. So this is, this isn't just for our own benefit though. I really got the feeling from looking at your book that this, this helps us evolve as individuals, but it's really about helping us um, enter the world and be of service. Would you talk about that? Well, this is what happens, and and so many people have talked about this. When we contact the soul, everything changes. We suddenly realize that we're part of the soul of humanity, and we lose that sense of separateness. And our orientation changes from me to we, and we suddenly want to be of service. Our personal ambition really shifts to working for the greater good. And that this is part of our spiritual development is to extend this attention outward. And it's said that this is the true meaning of the Christian cross. And I found this very interesting, that we pull information, the, the, the um, vertical beam represents the information that we pull in through the higher worlds. And the horizontal beam represents giving that information and energy out in service, that we're not to be hermits living in monasteries, that we need to share the gifts that we get with the world. And we do have um, the motivation to be of service when we start to touch into the soul levels. And in the book, I talk a lot about this, and I talk about, um, I interviewed a lot of people who've had this experience. And um, uh, Corrine McLaughlin is one person who's written a couple of really wonderful books on this topic. And she talks about uh, what she calls the sweet spot, that it's matching our skills and passions with the needs of the world. And when we bring these three things together, our skills and gifts, our own particular passion, and the needs of the world, we find the sweet spot, the area where we can make our greatest contribution. Perfect. That is so beautiful. So we're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we'll take a little bit more of a look on getting in touch with that. How do we, uh, how do we know that? So this is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be right back. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. 
Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, this is Ann Gelsheimer, and you're listening to Conscious Evolution Radio. My guest, Colleen Morrow, who is the author of Spiritual Telepathy, and I were just talking about uh, connecting with our soul purpose or our life purpose. So, Colleen, could you tell us a little bit more about how, when we connect with the soul, we're able to get clearer on what we have to offer in terms of service? Well, the, the soul uh, knows our higher purpose. It holds the wisdom of all of our many lifetimes of incarnation, and it has the blueprint of our lives. And once we make that connection, we start to get more clear about exactly what we can offer, what our particular service is. And I have many stories in the book about how this happened to people. Would you like to hear some of them? I would love to hear. Tell okay. us. One, of, one was a friend of mine here, um, and she, she, de- she was a college professor, and she developed um, life-threatening co- complications after she had gallstone surgeries. And she was in and out of the hospital for four months. Um, she needed um, tube feeding. She wasn't sure if she was going to pull through. The doctors just didn't know if she was going to make it. The only thing she could do was to lay in bed and watch the sun move across the floorboards and listen to the birds outside. And um, she had been a teacher, and she and her husband had built a very comfortable life together. But she knew that she might not be able to return to that life if she lived. She would need feeding tubes for the rest of her life. So she disciplined herself not to think about the past or the future, but just to focus on the present moment. And as she began to get better, her, her um, thoughts about what she wanted to do in the future changed. She just assumed that she'd go back to being a college professor. But it was in that period of silence where she learned to just be and just be in the present moment that she started to be more attuned to the guidance of her soul. And when she recovered, she decided that she wanted to do something very different, that she had become um, a minister 
in Carroll Parish's esoteric school, and she decided that she would launch the first um, interfaith church in Minneapolis. And she was very fearful about taking on a minister's role and wondering if it was going to jeopardize her marriage because her husband wasn't interested in alternative spirituality. But she felt like um, there was a little hand uh, on her back just moving her forward and that she felt if she didn't um, do what her soul was calling to her to do, that her life would no longer be authentic. And it turned out to be a wonderful experience for her. It was the most rewarding thing she'd ever done. And she felt that she was, in her own small way, contributing to the evolution of humanity in doing that. And many people have had this experience. Um, Corrine McLaughlin, who I mentioned before, uh, was at Findhorn in the 70s. And she was meditating in the sanctuary on Christmas Eve and wondering, um, sort of lamenting about her love life and wondering why she kept attracting relationships that didn't work out. And she said she had an experience where um, suddenly her soul whispered to her that she wasn't here to find the perfect relationship, that she was here to open to humanity and to serve humanity in some way, and it completely changed her life. And as it turns out, she met and married the most wonderful person and has been with them for 30 years, and they do a lot of um, teaching on the ageless wisdom. But it's listening to that subtle information from the soul that really has made the difference. And I think it's... um, our passions, too, the things that we care most about are whispers from our souls that can guide us to a particular career or service. I was a kid who loved books and magazines, and when I was uh, eight or nine, I read a novel about a girl my age who had her own column in a daily newspaper, and I, I'll never forget the drawing on the, um, the cover of this book. It showed a young girl with a green visor hunched over a typewriter like a hard-bitten reporter, and as soon as I saw that book, something clicked, and I just read it over and over, and I stared at the cover, and I knew somehow that I just wanted to be that girl. And a few years later, I started a newsletter for my classmates, my sixth grade classmates, and I've been involved with publishing ever since. So somehow I knew. And my partner uh, had an astrology reading 40-some years ago and was just mesmerized by it. And he started to study the subject and developed a very passionate interest in both the history and astronomical facts related to the subjects. And um, he noticed that scholars who translated the ancient astronomical and astrological texts that were dug up from modern-day Iraq, which was Babylon, realized that the um, zodiac was actually based on the stars rather than the seasons as it's practiced here in the West. And so that's been a passion of his and the life's work of his to try to bring back the original practice of astrology in the West. Fascinating and so unique, and yet such a contribution. Mm-hmm. Another person was um, involved with a Los Angeles opera when her father sold a business, and they had a $5 million windfall, and she decided to set up a foundation to fund projects that really demonstrated the oneness principle. And she was driving by her house in upstate New York, and suddenly, every time she saw a for sale sign, a real estate for sale sign, something happened. She just got a jolt of energy, and she just had this feeling that something, she was supposed to do something, and she was meditating, and this idea just plopped right into her head one morning that she should buy one of these pieces of property and and start a retreat center, and she did that. So there's just story after story in the book about people who listen to this higher guidance and find their perfect, their perfect profession and their perfect service. And the guidance seems to be, 
I don't know, maybe it just starts out very practical at first. That's my own experience when, you know, I had some help buying this particular house that I, I own now uh, in terms of timing. When I, I first looked at it uh, on the internet, it was, no, it's too expensive. I heard so clearly, no. And then all of a sudden, about two, three weeks later, I was contacted. The price had dropped thirty to $40,000. It was the perfect time for me to step in. But it when I look at stories like that, I always feel like there's a way in which the soul engages us. There is that higher wisdom. And then once we're in the door, then we can continue to develop in terms of our service and, our, you know, there's more things that we have to offer. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Corey McLaughlin said about the sweet spot is so important. It's matching our passions and interests with the needs of the world. And when we do that, when we, when we match our gifts and skills, our passion and the needs of the world, we do hit that sweet spot. We find the, the, the perfect place where we can make our contribution. That is, the, that is sort of the ideal or the goal that we're headed towards. And then there's a trust-building process, you know, where we start to trust the information that's coming in mm-hmm. and have it validated. So how, how has, you've, you've been studying this for a long time. On a day-to-day basis now, how, how do you live this? What does it look like for you? Well, I'm in the stage where many people are, maybe most people are, just disciplining myself and just doing this day after day after day. And I have a much deeper sense of the contribution I can make. And what I discovered when, when you touch into these higher levels it's a, it's a pleasure and a joy that really the outer world really can't come close to. And so we start to withdraw from our pleasure of, say, a, a, a promotion or um, a raise or whatever is wonderful. But we, don't, we start to sort of see that our, our value and our pleasure really isn't in the outer world. It's in the inner world because nothing really can compare with that. And so we, we create a kind of a balance. You know, I found myself not so ambitious the way I used to be. And I find myself just sort of um, in, a, in a higher kind of flow. In the past, everything I've accomplished has come through pure strength of will. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to um, start something or I wanted to make something happen, I would sort of go about it like a military campaign and do a, do a reality creation and, you know, focus on it every day and, and just um, stay focused until I made it happen. And I had an experience right when I was finishing the book where a new opportunity just dropped into my lap. And it was really kind of um, amazing to me because I didn't do anything to go after it, which was a first. And it was something that was so perfect I couldn't have imagined I couldn't have imagined it, and it came at just the perfect time. If it had come six months earlier, I'd had to turn it down because I wasn't finished. So it came at just the right time when I needed to start making money again and started to do things. And so I realized that when you're more attuned to the soul and and attuned to your higher purpose, that things just start to come to you. You don't really have to go into battle and, you know, do that military campaign to try to sort of make things happen through strength of will, which is always the way I operated. It's, it's interesting because you need that strength of will at some, at, as you say, at some point. But then moving into the flow is just so much nicer to, so it's a, it's a easier way to live your life. It sure is. So for our listeners now who might be very interested in, in starting out on this path, uh, what, what would you recommend to get started? Where, where would they go? Obviously to your book, but right. where, what, what would the first steps be? Well, the, the good way, a good way to start would be to look at the books and look at the meditations. 
I have meditations to try to quiet the emotional body. Those are heart-oriented meditations. And then I have um, the basic Raja Yoga meditation. And then in the next chapter, I have um, more advanced soul alignment meditations. But it's meditation, meditation, meditation. It really doesn't happen without that. And is there, are you aware of any uh, groups that might be there to kind of support people along the way or, or, you know, give them some advice if they're running into difficulties? Well, there are esoteric schools. There are a lot of esoteric schools, and I mentioned that I'm involved with the Arcane School. That's a pretty um, lengthy process. I think it's 10 to 14 years. It's a real commitment, and not mm-hmm. everybody has the time for that, and I certainly wouldn't have had the time at an earlier stage. But there's a lot of esoteric groups. I think you can just find things. I have some, some uh, resources in the back of the book, but there's many others. You can look locally to see what's happening in your particular area. Okay, no, that sounds that sounds very good. And we were going to jump back, but I think there's still a little bit of time um, to talk about uh, a little bit about the way telepathy has appeared in the different cultures. I think that's very interesting. What did you notice in uh, in your research there? Well, I did a lot of research on this, and it was fascinating. It was kind of like being a detective because what I decided early on when I started to write this book was that I wanted to show people that this teaching exists at the heart of all religions because it makes it more credible to people. I mean, this is esoteric information, and um, it can, you can think of, that it might be true and it might not be true. But what made it more interesting and credible to me as a researcher was to see that it just appears over, over, and over in its exact teaching in many different cultures. And, um, for, for example, in... Um, Instinctive telepathy, um, the same teaching is everywhere. It's in the kahunas. They talk about how, and remember that instinctive telepathy is from, utilizes the solar plexus. And the kahunas think of it as a um, line of energy that, um, or telepathic lines that go from one um, solar plexus to another. And that this is how telepathic information is um, sent back and forth. And, and so, again, it's the solar plexus area. The African Bushmen believe that everyone has a silver stream of energy from one belly button to another and that they use these horizontal lines like telephone wires to send messages. The Australian Aboriginals believe it's the Miwi, which makes it possible for them to see or hear at a distance. And Miwi is a word that translates as soul or instinct, and they um, said it's located in the pit of our stomachs. The Japanese use the word haraji or belly talk, to size up a potential partner or business proposal. And that word derives from hara, which is translated as belly or guts, and ji, which is translated as the art of. So they talk about the art of the belly, and that's how they make important business decisions. And in our culture, we use the term gut feelings. And so you can see that it's, it's, it's basically the same teaching in all these different cultures, that they're talking about the same area. That's how information is, is um is translated from one to the other. And then in mental telepathy or thought transference is mind-to-mind telepathy. And again, that utilizes the throat center and the lower levels of the mental plane. And a lot of what, I, as I said before, a lot of what we call mental telepathy is actually instinctive telepathy or clairvoyance. And um, there's some good examples in the book about what they call true mental telepathy. And that uh, includes the work of Helena Vlatsky and Alice Bailey. And these were women who introduced a modern interpretation of the ageless wisdom teachings to our generation. 
<laughs> and they were said to have been scribes, basically, for um, masters that lived in um, Tibet. And they did a process of just mental attunement. And Alice Bailey's story is very interesting. She said that uh, a Tibetan man made an appearance in her life when she was 15, and he told her he'd have work to do, work for her to do later in the future. And 24 years later, when she was a mother of three, she suddenly heard a voice within asking for her cooperation in the writing of a series of books. And after some reluctance, she agreed. And according to Bailey, in the beginning, the information was just dropped into her brain one word at a time. And over time, as their minds became attuned, she was able to directly register and write down the thoughts and ideas of a Tibetan master. And over a 30-year period, they produced, I think, a total of 24 books. And in spiritual... Go ahead. I just love that idea of attunement. And we have just a couple minutes, but I do Hmm. want to hear about uh, spiritual telepathy. Well, one thing I uh, found about spiritual telepathy is that it encompasses the experience we call genius. And um, I read a lot of biographies of composers and um, artists and writers, and they all talk about this in exactly the same way that the wisdom teachings talk about it, where they um, see the soul as a portal to this level of universal information. And when they touch the soul, information just pours into the brain. And that it was that resulted in some of our greatest achievements in, in the arts and science and in business, too. Beautiful. Well, we've just got a minute left, so uh, would you let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you and find out more information? Sure, I just put up a website, and the address is spiritualtelepathy.net. Oh, that's easy. And we'll have a guest page uh, with that uh, written down in case people are listening and they don't have a pencil. So we will have a guest webpage for Colleen, and you can take a look at it. Colleen, I want to thank you so much. Um, Our listeners may not, hopefully won't know, but we did have some technical difficulties, and you were so... uh, persistent and so courageous in going through it with me. So thank you so much. And I think the interview is very, very valuable and people will benefit. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And to my listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you'll tune in again next week. This is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio. Good night. Thank you again for tuning in to Conscious Evolution Radio. Please join Ann Gelsheimer for another great show next Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We hope to see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.